I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is Workplace Strategies Update, the final episode. Dr. Dennis Davis, here we are, episode number 15. Mr. Joe Beachboard, I believe kinsay is the word you're looking for. Continuing with the Spanish influence Absolutely. into workplace strategies update. You picked that about halfway, and then you kind of gone with it ever since. Oh, no, my friend, you only listened halfway through. <laughs> well, that's possible. That's possible, too. Of course, this is our uh, last podcast before the big show in Austin next week. I know this is a very sad and emotional day for you, and so I brought a special additional item to have here on the table uh, just so that, you know, you'd be prepared if you uh, get a little teary. I'm going to need these, but not for tears. <laughs> well, and we're, we're, uh, you know, we're kind of stepping it up here. Got the suits on, getting ready for uh, next ties. week. Got our ties. There's still time to join us in person or remotely. Yeah, and we've got a great show for you today. A very timely discussion on safely returning employees to the workplace. Really big issue. The second week in a row we've been talking about this from different angles. Uh, Eric Hobbs will update us on the latest from OSHA, and Karen Tynan will do the same with respect to Cal OSHA. And we will discuss a little bit about the anxiety all this is causing in workers returning to the workplace. Yeah, that's right. That's significant. And of course, we will wrap up with what you're drinking. I have my bottle. And I have my bottle. Well, thanks to all of you for joining us uh, today and throughout the series. It's been a blast, and we appreciate you being part of it, whether you were on the video or on the podcast. Um, if you're on the podcast, there's still time to subscribe, right? Because we're available on Spotify. Or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Well, I guess the only reason to subscribe, Dennis, is if there is something coming in the future, right? That's true, Joe. And the response to the show has been so positive. I think we might consider, well, we might consider keeping it going. Well, yeah, I think, you know, we'll try to get some feedback next week, maybe, while we're down in Austin, and we encourage you to leave any feedback associated with the show. I know Dennis would love the opportunity to spend more quality time with me. I haven't had any yet, but maybe <laughs> we'll have some. Come on! Oh, weren't, weren't, weren't there some magical moments over the 15 episodes of this? Yeah. When like, we said, Cut! <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I thought maybe it was when you were in that hotel room back there. I did learn a lesson from that. Make your bed before you do a remote. Uh, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. Fair a enough. Don't forget the principles of the program, SSWC. Strangulation. <laughs> well, that's okay. Substance. Wine. Uh, competition. All right. And whatever else. Content. Right? Swag, right. which it's... we did. That was a magical moment that's when we right. learned that swag stands for stuff we all get. Yeah. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, of course, also one of the highlights has been our best wine contest stories. Last week, you had a... I had the Camus America. I had the Camus. Yeah. Well, I had the TP Reserve. It's a, it's a great bottle and a hilarious story. And Not hilarious enough, I guess. Yeah. Should have won, but it, it didn't. And I guess we've already announced who won. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later in the show. And we'll also announce who wins a bottle of their choice between the TP Reserve and the Caymans. Remember, there's two ways to win. If you're in the video audience, you can vote on the poll after we share our stories this week. 
you're on the podcast simply by subscribing. We will put your name into the bowl. Really, really big bowl. And then one of you will win a bottle of wine that Dr. Dennis Davis would love to send to you. It'll probably come from Joe once again. Well, okay. This week, but not historically overall. Let's get to the substance. All Enough right. of that. All Enough right. of that. We'll come back to that. Come back to that later. Returning to the podcast from Milwaukee is Eric Hobbs, chair of Ogletree's Workplace Safety and Health Practice Group. Welcome back to the show, Eric. Hey, Eric. Thank you, gentlemen. What a pleasure! And on your your swan song episode, I'm I'm, I'm feel honored. Yeah, we we were really low on content. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, the bottom. I know when you end with when you end with OSHA, right? It's like Scraping wow, you know, uh, who's <laughs> producing that show? <laughs> well, you know, we always like to pump up our guests a little bit before the show, right? So, Eric, last week OSHA finally issued the COVID nineteen emergency temporary standard and their revised guidance. What the heck took so long? I don't know. It took them three months beyond the due date the president set <laughs> upon inauguration. In part, it's the process. Uh, the process takes a while if it's done right. Um, and presuming that OSHA did it right <laughs> and the White House did it right, it just took a lot longer. And to their credit, they took stakeholder comments and met with stakeholders. So the process delayed it. Um, there was some internal conflict within the agency as how best to approach the subject. Um, especially when the CDC threw the monkey wrench in a few weeks ago of, of, uh, of concluding that you know, vaccinated employees really are fine in the workplace. They are neither the subjects of COVID-19 nor can they communicate to other people. Um, and then it's just kind of the politics of the whole issue. We've got a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of pressures coming from both sides. And I say both sides, meaning organized labor and management in particular. Uh, and not pushing the same direction, of course. So the agency was trying to be circumspect, and I think the White House was too, and trying to walk that fine line that the president promised um, when he was campaigning. So, Eric, uh, who does the ETS apply to, and who does the guidance cover? But the ETS applies only to healthcare and what OSHA calls healthcare support. So things like long-term care facilities, uh, emergency response folks all would be included within the scope of healthcare, but certainly traditional healthcare too, physician's offices, dentist's offices, hospitals, clinics. But it's really a rather narrow swath of industry in the United States. Uh, the, the, the guidance, and I, I keep referring to the ETS, it's an emergency temporary standard, meaning that it's got a shelf life um, as a matter of law. We'll talk about that in a moment, I think. But the, the guidance applies to everybody else. So I guess, I mean, can you explain a little bit more about what the difference is between an ETS and a guidance? Sure. I mean, a simple way to look at it, although it's too simple, is that the ETS is law and the guidance is recommendation. So the ETS is enforceable as law against the industries it covers. And the guidance continues to be recommendations by the agencies to everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that the recommendations aren't something that OSHA would try to enforce but it has to do so under the general duty clause of the OSHA Act, which imposes on, on OSHA a much heavier burden of proof. Among other things, they have to prove that, that there's an existing hazard in the particular workplace. And nowadays with the number of vaccinated workers and workforces, that's gonna become increasingly difficult. It's, it's gonna be a, a tough road to hoe for OSHA in enforcing the guidance under the general duty clause against industries who are not covered by the ETS. Gotcha. Are, are there any provisions in the ETS that came as a surprise to you? Yeah, I, I think, well, 
I won't say a shock, I will say a surprise. One is that we are required upon removing employees from the workplace because they either have had close contact with someone who's COVID-19 positive or who have been confirmed as, as positive COVID-19 cases. We have to remove them from the workplace and we have to continue to pay their benefits and their, their, their salaries, their pay, um, irrespective of the source of the COVID-19. So if they contracted it from Aunt Sally at a Sunday afternoon gathering, that's irrelevant to whether we have to remove them and pay them the benefits and, and uh, compensation to which they'd otherwise be entitled if they were working for us. That's a bit of a surprise. And then we're also required in healthcare to keep records of all COVID-19 cases, irrespective of the work-relatedness of the infection. Um, and both, both, by the way, are both of those are the subject of possible lawsuit, you know, challenge uh, to, to the, uh, the ETS. But they're both difficult and they'll, they'll be difficult to administer and certainly expensive in some cases to administer, even though there are caps on the amount of money that have to be paid employees who are sent home. When is the ETS effective and uh, when does it expire? Well, you know, what's strange is that OSHA published the ETS and the guidance on its website last Thursday, but uh, the ETS has not yet been published in the Federal Register, which is that formal publication of the feds that um, regulators have to put their regulations, their new regulations into before the regulators can say these are going to be enforced in effect. So once OSHA has published the ETS, it will be effective in some limited part within 30 days and for the most part in 15 days, which is a very, very short time frame. Um, and the, the, the few things that are subject to that 30 day delay, if you want to call it that, are the, the heavier duty requirements like uh, increasing ventilation or cleaning and putting up barriers, physical barriers to keep folks who can't otherwise distance six feet from one another in the workplace. But everything else is subject to that 15 day delay. And that's not much. Eric, let's let's turn to the guidance, which, as I understood what you were saying, have probably broader application to the, the audience here. Anything that surprised you there? Yeah, I, I think um, most of us were surprised that it was kind of the same old, same old, meaning it looks a lot like the guidance we saw in January, with the exception now of a carve out, if you will, for fully vaccinated workers. Employers do not have to treat fully vaccinated workers the way uh, they must treat, well, must are recommended, they, they, they treat, um, it is recommended they treat unvaccinated workers. Uh, but the, the fact that there was no vaccination requirements, even though employers are encouraged to encourage vaccination, um, there also was no vaccine or vaccination confirmation requirement. Uh, right now, it is good enough for employers in figuring out who's vaccinated and who's not simply to ask. Um, that, that, that came as a surprise, certainly to me, and I think to a bunch of other folks, too. Eric, when is the guidance effective and when does it expire? That's effective immediately. Um, it's a revision of what took effect in January, and it'll just continue to roll. And it continues to roll without expiration until OSHA decides to withdraw. But effectively, once the pandemic is over, and particularly if the ETS dies its own death um, by, by reason of its existence, it's for six months. Six months is the maximum length of an ETS. Once the ETS dies, I'm confident the guidance also will be withdrawn. Is OSHA enforcing this guidance, either the old standards or the new standards? Certainly, they're, they're, they're attempting to enforce the guidance provisions from January. We've seen that. Clients are being inspected and compliance officers are, 
are, are asking questions and requesting information that go to the very issues that are raised by the January guidance. This new guidance we have not yet seen enforced, if you will, I, I hate to use that term, but we haven't seen OSHA out there tr trying to enforce the terms of the guidance, but it's just too early. We'll see. Hey, Eric, this has been really, really important stuff. Thank you so much for your time together uh, today. Thanks a lot, Dennis and Joe. It is important. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to our clients about it. And we'll see you in Austin next week. So safe travels. Indeed. Looking forward to it. You as well. Okay. See you later. Thanks, Eric. As we all know, California is a very different place. So, of course, there is a different workplace safety standard. Yeah, that's enforced by Cal OSHA, and they've been very active of late in kind of a Keystone Cops kind of way. Joining us to clarify what they've been up to is one of the state's foremost experts on workplace safety in California, Karen Tynan, a shareholder in Ogletree's Sacramento office. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hey, Karen. Hi, from California. Good to be with you guys. So, um, Karen, how is California's safety agency different than federal OSHA that Eric Hobbs was just explaining to us? So California has its own state plan, Cal OSHA, which is different from the federal plan. And Cal OSHA has its own aerosol transmissible disease standard for healthcare industry, and we have general industry standards around COVID. So it's very different, and it's also very different in enforcement with a present focus on agriculture, manufacturing, healthcare industries, and retail right now. Okay, okay. So what's the current status of Cowboys' COVID uh, regulations? Uh, that's the flip-flop third time around, uh, whatever innuendo or kind of funny story you want to have. Uh, Cal OSHA has been trying to implement a revised COVID standard since the end of May. We've had three different tries or drafts at it, um, rejected uh, by the standards board. And so right now, the important date is June 17th. There is a draft which is expected to be approved and it will be implemented immediately. Uh, Governor Newsom will be shortening the time for implementation. And so the new regulation completely rolls back social distancing, no more requirement for social distancing, no mask for vaccinated workers. Unvaccinated workers uh, should continue wearing masks for now. We need to offer N95 masks to unvaccinated workers. And key is a requirement that the employers document whether workers are vaccinated or unvaccinated so that they can implement masks and other safety protocols in the workplace. Yeah, it's been crazy following the back and forth on that. Uh, Karen, are there specific industry regulations for COVID-19 in California? General industry covers everybody except healthcare. So the, the new rollback is for everybody. But I will say, Joe, that we expect enforcement to continue to focus on meat processing. Um, that includes a lot of the Central Valley businesses and Los Angeles area. A big emphasis this summer on agriculture workers and agriculture processing. 
continued emphasis in manufacturing locations where workers are in close assembly lines together in um, uh, LA, the Central Valley, that where you have those kind of activities and continued enforcement in healthcare, nursing homes, assisted living facilities and hospitals. We continue to expect a lot of uh, inspectors going onto sites and responding to complaints and carrying out their investigations. It sounds like you, you touched on this a little bit. Uh, what's, your, what's your vision of the enforcement plan for the rest of 2021? I think that as the numbers continue to go down, we will see uh, the inspectors wrapping up uh, previous investigations. The statute of limitations was in effect suspended for most of 2020 and 2021. And through the end of the year, we will see wrapping up of inspections. We will see a lot of citations issued. And we will also see if the numbers start to go back up or complaints start to happen, those inspectors will be out at the facilities that uh, have these continued workers working closely together, whether it's distribution centers. We see a lot of those in Los Angeles area for businesses, big 500 employee distribution centers. We'll expect enforcement around that. And we'll also ex expect this summer when we have heat illness inspections, the inspectors will also be asking about COVID. So for those employers with outdoor workers, be prepared for your heat illness and your COVID. At the same time, many inspectors will also be enforcing those two together. Well, Karen, this is a complicated and ever-changing <laughs> arena, and uh, we very much appreciate your input today. And as a general rule, being a resource uh, to our clients here in California who have one additional hurdle they have to clear here in California through 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 Cal OSHA. So so thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Joe. And don't forget, in September we have our California Workplace Safety Seminars in both Oakland and Orange County. More information to follow on those, right? Yes, our save the date goes out in June. Absolutely Excellent. wonderful. See you, Karen. Good to see you. Bye, you guys. Stay safe. All right, you too. Bye bye. The return to work landscape continues to change. It certainly does. Let me, let me ask you, Dennis, a, a question about how this impacts employees. In other words, does all this change that we're talking about, does this lead to anxiety and can that impact employees both personally and in terms of their productivity? Oh, absolutely. No one likes change. People settle into a groove and change forces you out of the groove and can cause anxiety. Yeah, like the groove we, we're in? No. <laughs> I, did, I know you don't want to change. I've got that still right I appreciate that. Right I here. appreciate that. So, um, so if change creates stress, mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. do we help our employees cope? How do we decrease the stress? Well, let's remind our employees of those self-care measures that we talked to them about during the pandemic, and hopefully we talked to them about it a year ago and two years ago. Uh, they include uh, recreation kind of getting away from things now and then. Nutrition, you can't just do junk eating, you gotta do good eating. Uh, relaxation, uh, these are ways that we get away from some of the stress. Yeah, what about physical activity? Does that fit into Activities all of that? Activity is a really good thing. Exercise, 30 minutes a day, five times a week is a really good way to break into the physiological realm of stress. Well, 
Have you heard about this bus driver in Chicago who's been jumping into Lake Michigan? Uh, I have heard about that. I think he's up to 365 days in a row that he did it. That's right. That's yes. right. Yes. It, to cope with the stress of the pandemic. And, and in the winter, he had to hack a hole in the ice big enough that he could dive in. And I guess once or twice he didn't quite dive in and busted himself in the head scratched yes. himself up on the side of the ice and 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 all that incredible so, incredible yeah so you know he said he was doing that to relieve stress is that the kind of thing you had in had in mind to no. help employees come? no anything that i do that creates more stress is not going to be a good stress reliever well i guess it's in in, in individuals have different responses right yeah and so maybe we see you jumping into some frozen lakes no that won't be happening Although Joe has said many times, Dennis, go jump in the lake, and I don't do it. Yeah. I sort of said it after the results of this, uh, this week's uh, wine competition, too. So I guess we should yeah, talk Joe. about the results of our wine stories. Yes, I think we should. So last week, uh, I had the hilarious TP Reserve wine, if you weren't with us last week, you should still go out to their website because it's hilarious to see them growing toilet paper on the vines and picking them and putting them into the baskets. And, and um, uh, they take their wine seriously, but they don't take themselves seriously, sort of like us at uh, Workplace Strategy. So kind of like trying to sell it again, aren't you, Joe? <laughs> uh, it was hilarious, but not quite funny enough. I had the Camus. You did. Uh, the big, bold California Cabernet, and it won. It did. It, it won the wine story. And so, uh, Luis Benavides, you will be receiving a bottle of wine from me courtesy of me. And you get to choose between the wonderful TP and the, <laughs> Reserve. And the more wonderful Camus. Uh, well, so um, this week we have uh, two other bottles of wine. Would you like to go first or second? Uh, Joe, I think I will go first. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So as you know, Father's Day is coming up. And uh, my mind turns to my 91-year-old dad. We've had some great times together. I remember once my dad came out to visit me. He lives back east. He came out to visit me, and we took a, we took a fishing uh, uh, tour. We took one of those day boats out. We went fishing. We caught a ton of fish. I mean, we caught a ton of fish, and they cleaned it, of course, and filleted it right there on a the boat, and we went back to my place, and I cooked up a mess of potato salad and a mess of cornbread. I cooked fish three ways. I fried it. I grilled it. I broiled it. And I opened up a bottle of wine, and me and my dad, we sat around, and we had a lot of fish, potatoes, salad, and cornbread, and wine, and we watched a fight. Well, about an hour into this, my then-girlfriend comes over. She knocks on the door, come on in. She goes, wow, it smells good in here. I go, yeah, go in the kitchen and fix yourself a plate. And she went in, she fixed the plate, she came back in, she sat down, she ate. We hung out for a while, she went home. My dad turns to me and says, son, you know, if you, if you cook for a woman— She's never going to cook for you. I said, Dad, that is sexist, and I'm offended. Come on, Dad. Well, you know what? I married that young lady. We've been married 28 years. And this weekend, you know what she did? She said, Dennis, how about you make some cornbread, potato salad, fix up some fish, and I'll open up a bottle of brown family Chardonnay. So she did. We did. But Dad was right. She hadn't cooked since. Well, that's a good, that's, that's a good story. That's a, yeah. 
Is there a, is there an abbreviated version? For no. Or <laughs> consumption? You take it all. <laughs> okay. Or you don't okay. take it at all. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, good story and great winery and um, nice Chardonnay that you have there. But you know what? Last week, Dennis said, I challenge you to find a better Cabernet. And this week, that challenge is met right here with this 2016 Alexander Valley Silver Oak. Maybe Silver Oak, but it is the gold standard. And they're saying is, life is a Cabernet. Don't just take it from me, take it from Ogletree. Next year at the Navigating California Employment Law Program called uh, California Employment Law and Cabernet, we chose Silver Oak as the winery that we're gonna visit. Silver Oak, that's your choice. It's good wine, Joe. A fair to Midland story, but a good wine. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it didn't have any fishing in it. So, no, you know, I didn't have any fishing. <laughs> Couldn't work in the fishing into that story. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to do better next time. Uh, you get to decide who told the uh, better story uh, if you're on the video cast. Uh, please vote in, in the polls. And for those of you that are on the podcast, please do subscribe and we'll keep you apprised as to what the plans are for in the future we would love your input either if you're joining us in austin we'd love your input there in person or if you're uh, on the podcast uh, we'd, we'd love for you to give us some feedback on the program we look forward to seeing everybody in austin and we look forward to seeing those of you who are going to be participating virtually yeah and it's in just a few days hard to believe right hard to hard believe. to believe that it is upon us so i guess for the last time, until next week, I'm Joe Beachport. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is Workplace Strategies Update.